We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's up, folks? This is Rob from the Striking Gold Podcast on the Blue Wire Network. Before we get started, I want to give a shout-out to one of our sponsors, Indochino. Everybody knows how good a man looks in a suit, whether it's celebrities, athletes, music stars. Half the reason they all look so good, one, I guess they're pretty good looking usually, but they all wear these nice, perfectly fitted suits, and that is not as expensive as you think it is. That's where Indochino comes in. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. Everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Indochino's process is simple. You choose your fabric, you pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all on yourself online at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more at Indochino.com when you enter Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BlueWire for $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more. Incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Look good. Get Indochino. And with that being said, we're back with another week's episode of Striking Gold, 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This 
week's episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Indochino, which you just heard about, Harry's, and Roman. We'll get to them later. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. Joining me tonight is my co-host, as always, the quarterback of his own press coverage podcast, also on the Blue Wire Network, Eric freaking Crocker. What is going on, brother? Uh, you're supposed to ask me how I'm feeling. Eric freaking Crocker. How you feeling, brother? <laughs> I'm feeling like I'm... We're like we're eight and one. I know, I know. I feel like I feel like everybody listening right now should just kind of gather in, like gather in, come in real close, come in real close. Come I have a lot to say about this too. Put your put your hands on each other's shoulders, you know, and just kind of bow your heads for a moment to honor this. Like, what do we get? Like a two month streak of opening up this podcast saying we're undefeated. You know, and, and, and just kind of to touch on that, how awesome was it? You know. I, I had expectations of having a winning season, but never in a million years would I have expected the 49ers to start the season 8-1. and one. So, you know, the, the winless, I mean the lossless or whatever, the undefeated streak has come to an end. But, and that was a pretty cool, that was a fun ride. They were always going to lose eventually. Now, obviously that has a little bit of negativity to it, but... NFL teams just don't go undefeated. <laughs> the last time we, we saw someone do that was the Patriots, and we saw how that ended for them. NFL teams just don't go undefeated, and I think the last one is like the 70-something Dolphins or something obscure like that. 72 but, Dolphins, I believe. Right. They, I, I, I think they won the Super Bowl too. And if you're, if you're going to go or if you're, if you're going to eventually lose one, I think the 49ers losing to the Seahawks at home in overtime – to a last second field goal is about as good as it gets as far as the way in which you lose. Of course, no one wants to take it to the Seahawks, but, you know. That's as hurtful as it gets as well. Right. That was a good game. You know, that was as competitive a football game as you can get. And, of course, that doesn't mean that nothing – obviously, a ton of stuff had to go wrong to get to that point. But it was just – you have to have some respect for the game and what those two teams did to get to that point. Now, obviously, you know, no one's happy with the result, but it is what it is. I thought it was a it was a great game. It was certainly a lot of fun to watch. There were members up there in the press box, and, and kind of just the nature of the job is you kind of have to keep your emotions in check. We, any emotions, like, you know, even if you're just excited to be watching a football game, you're supposed to even just keep your general excitement down because it's a working environment, you know. So even the press box was getting into it. There was just no way you couldn't get into a game like that. It was just no matter who, you know, deep down inside who your favorite team is and or whether or not it was neither of the teams that are on the field. It was just a super good game that was super entertaining. A lot of crazy stuff happened. You know, it felt like playoffs. And I know Russell Wilson said that too. It just it felt like something bigger than a regular season game. So it was it was special in its own right, despite not coming out how they wanted it to. But, you know, it, it is what it is. That's that's the nature of the game. Yeah, it was kind of hard to, to stomach. I think the hardest part is the things that I read about or watched on TV after the game with how people kind of started to view the 49ers. And I think it's a bit unfair. Um, Knee-jerk, for sure. Yeah, there, there's a lot of those type of reactions going around. Um, whether it's with the 49ers team, whether it's with the receivers, um, whether it's with the quarterback, uh, j- just a lot of knee-jerk reactions. Um, and it's like, you know, dude, it's like 49ers are 8-1. They're, they're not 
one and eight where, you know, it's time for heads to roll or start making these big time moves that, you know, shake up an entire roster. It's not the 49ers aren't at that point at all, nor will I think they be at all during, you know, throughout this season or, you know, the rest of the season. Uh, it's just kind of kind of wild to me. I'm a little bit disappointed, I think, with the fan base, just a little bit. Well, they definitely freaked out, which is, I mean, I can understand just being upset about a loss and just kind of doing the thing, but like it, they lost in overtime to a last second field goal with a whole laundry list of injuries that either took, had their impact before the game or happened throughout the game. And they, they still went to, to over the last seconds of overtime with a, with a now eight and two Seahawks. Like it's just, to me, it's not a, should the 49ers have won? Absolutely. And they had opportunities to win and, and stuff, you know. And, and I don't want to say should they have won, but could they have won? D- definitely. Yeah, that's probably a better way of saying it. Yeah, right? because should they win, it's like uh, to ask that rookie kicker fresh off the couch to, to hit a game-winning right. field goal on Monday, that, that's kind of And in my opinion, he'd already earned his stripes. Like, he was the reason the 49ers got into overtime to begin with. You know, he was perfect. So it was, you know, when he missed that, I wasn't, there wasn't any part of me that was like, dude, how do you miss that? Because the, they, the 49ers had already stacked too much on his plate. And in my opinion, in that situation, he, they shouldn't have kicked period. I was saying that literally before he even kicked, it was fourth and less than one. You're already asking a lot of a kicker who you just brought in and the offense needed like half a yard, a yard whatever it was, I felt like the 49ers should have just gone for it. And I felt like they would have got it. Shanahan's really good at that. And they, you know, but that's, that's, it is what it is, but there's a whole, there's a lot of stuff that you got to unpack with this game. And Croc and I are going to dice it down. We'll probably spend way more time tonight talking about the Seahawks game. than we will what's coming up with the Cardinals just because they just played the Cardinals a week ago. And I feel like everybody who's listening has a pretty solid grasp on what it's going to take to beat them. There's not, there's not really anything we can uh, – we'll still touch on it, but there's not really anything we can offer that you ha- didn't already hear two weeks ago that, that's changed since. But obviously, bef- before we kind of I – I think it's fair. Before we go on and kind of break down the game, I got to give everybody like an injury update because things changed a little bit. Um, Ronald Blair – Rest his soul. Tore his ACL. He's done for the season. Uh, he did it sacking Russell Wilson, too. He, he scrambled. Russell Wilson scrambled to the left. Ronald Blair ran him down, and Russell Wilson kind of tried to duck under him, and, and uh, Blair had to, like, tackle him in a super awkward way, and and that ended up being what tore it. So, uh, shout out to him. Uh, that's that's a pretty de- – he's pretty decent loss for the 49ers. He's not a starter, but he's an impact guy that you can put in there and really not worry about whatsoever. You know, he's, he's a really, really good rotational guy. So that's, you know, the 49ers are going to be looking to see who they can sign to replace him. Uh, Matt Breida messed up his ankle again. Uh, he's day-to-day. It's not serious. He's just constantly battling that ankle injury. You could you could tell it's something that's going to bug him for for probably his entire career unless he gets some serious time to, uh, uh, to heal it. Uh, DJ Jones, who probably authored one of the plays of the game <laughs> right there in the beginning, sacked Russell Wilson, just annihilated the center, put him on his back and ran right over the top of him and sacked Russell Wilson on third down. That was as impressive as it gets. He's got a groin injury. He's expected to, to miss at least a week uh, pending an MRI. Joe Staley is again on the wrong side of the injury report. He um, fractured his fingers 
And I think there was also a dislocation in there. And he is getting a second opinion right now. I'm assuming the doctor suggested he have surgery, which could um, take him out of the game for a couple, two to three weeks. Um, and that's that's a tough blow considering he just came back from, uh, what was it, a seven, seven, six, seven week, uh, seven game absence. And, um, but he's getting a second opinion. So it's, it's not really sure what's going to go down with him. And Emmanuel Sanders, probably the only positive outlook from all the injury stuff is he left the game in the first half with a rib injury. That's just considered day to day. So could have been a lot worse. Usually when it comes to ribs, you know, there's usually some weeks involved. It's a very, very tough injury to just kind of deal with. So that is it for the injuries, (laughs) the new injuries uh, that all stem from that game. That doesn't include uh, Robbie Gould still recovering from, from his leg injury. That's not supposed to be serious. George Kittle has a knee and ankle injury that is Shanahan says day to day, you know, which, which seems more like week to week. We'll see how it goes against the Cardinals. Um, and there's one more person I'm missing. Witherspoon's supposed to come back. Did you mention George Kittle? Yeah, I did mention George Kittle. So I think I got everybody, but the 49ers are in no way healthy right now. And that contributed a lot to what we saw against the Seahawks in, in a few different ways than one. But, um, why don't you kick us off? I know you got some thoughts on, on Jimmy G and how he's being treated. Why don't you kick us off with that, Croc? I, I feel like we have this like discussion like every week. <laughs> right. And um, you know, I woke up this morning. You no, know, did I wake up? No, somebody actually tagged me in well, it I, I, on Twitter. You obviously woke up. I mean you did wake <laughs> right. up. Right. So someone tagged me on like the Nick Wright, what Nick Wright was saying, and I was just like, Wait, what? Like you can say Jimmy Garoppolo had a had a poor game. He did. Jimmy Garoppolo did not play well. Now I do feel like there are reasons that contributed to that, but he didn't play well. But to in the same breath say Russell Wilson was brilliant. Let me read this. Let me read this stat to you really quick. This is by Kyle Madsen. I was hoping um, you were going to mention this because I was going to. <laughs> yeah. So. This is for the Russell Wilson was brilliant, all right? Seattle, this is Seattle Seahawks drives that didn't start with a 49ers turnover. Because we do know the 49ers turnovers, one was returned for a touchdown, and the other two uh, gave the Seahawks plus field position. They were already in the 49ers uh, territory. All right, so outside of the 49ers turnovers, this is how the Seahawks drives went for the entire game. Punt, 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 fumble, fumble, punt, fumble, punt, field goal, interception, punt, field goal. Lighting it up, bro. Lighting it up. Lighting it up. And I, I, that line wasn't even that impressive. I mean, he was, no, it, he was 24 it, it was. 34 for 232 and a touchdown. And he also threw an interception that should have uh, – I mean, I I, it's hard to say should have. Should have ended the game uh, in overtime. So, yeah. I don't know where they're getting that. So, um, Nick Wright said that Jimmy Garoppolo basically was a disaster. And Russell Wilson was brilliant. I look at this stat line. With all these punts and field and a few field goals sprinkled in and turnovers, and it's like, well, his performance was pretty much even with Jimmy Garoppolo. It was. It the was. biggest difference to me um, between the two is that one field goal made the kick to win the game, and the other, I mean, one team made their field goal to win the game, and the other team missed. 
Like that was to me that was the biggest difference. I thought neither one played well. And, you know, that can be contributed to some really good defensive play by both teams. Um, I mean the the Seahawks defensive line played out of their mind. Uh specifically Clowney who had eleven pressures on his own. Uh, you know, it, it, it just it was what you expected when you saw that the 49ers and Seahawks were going to be playing on prime time. Um, 49ers jumped out to a 10-0 lead, and after that, uh, Emmanuel Sanders went down, and from there, the 49ers just kind of struggled to kind of really keep anything going. Uh, I was excited to see McGlinchey and Staley back. That excitement. They disappointed you. That excitement quickly put away. Now, I will say this. You know, I'm an optimistic person, and I like to look at everything within context. And a lot of that can be contributed. Hey, maybe these guys just need to get their feet underneath them. Maybe, uh, you know, it's like, hey, I get out here for the first time, and all of a sudden I have this 6'5", 260-pound monster that runs a 4'5", I mean 4'4", excuse me, um, lining up across from me, and he's kicking my ass. And maybe that's, you know, due to the guys just haven't been, you know, playing or practicing and they're kind of, you know, they just kind of get going. So hopefully that's the issue because uh, if that's something that the 49ers have to deal with again next week with Chandler Jones, that's going to be a long day. All right. And uh, and just kind of continue to touch on Jimmy G. He definitely made some poor passes. Um, He had, he had. Several poor passes. But I think what is kind of lost in this whole thing, and I know people have brought up the drops, but Terrell Owens brought the brought the drops up and it's like these are drive killing drops. We're talking about third down, I'm putting the ball on you, you drop it. We're talking about I'm throwing the ball downfield and it bounces off of Kendrick Bourne's hands and is intercepted and ran ran the other way. I mean, these drops were, they were, they were huge. I feel like each they're one. Not even, they're not even drive-killing drops. They are game-killing tri- drops. If you look at what happened from these drops, it they altered the state of the game because if you have, and I'm not putting this all on Kendrick Bourne because, and, and even Kyle Shanahan went in on this. Kendrick Bourne's drop, his first one, I mean, the ball was thrown a little high, but any self-respecting receiver, period, like you look at that and you say, okay, that's that's a pretty easy catch. And that's nothing about leaving your feet that makes a ball hard to catch. Period. Okay, so that's just natural, and especially for a guy as athletic and, and charismatic with the way he moves as Kendrick Bourne. You know, for that to hit his hands and go right into uh, into the Seahawks defender's hands and get returned, you know, most of the way back, that. All, that that's a huge swing. The 49ers go from driving, from hitting, you know, even in that play, hitting an open Kendrick Bourne for 15, 20 yards to it being intercepted and the, and the Seahawks came back and scored easily. And like Crocker said earlier, most, the vast, vast majority of the Seahawks points came off 49ers turnovers. 21 and, points. Right. And, and, and seven of those, it's probably 14 if I go back and looked at it. Seven of those came – it could have been 14 from Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo fumbled twice. One of them was just picked up and scored with by Jadevian Clowney. And I can't remember what happened with the other one. I'm sh- I, I know it resulted in points because it was all – was Touchdowns. All, all, all three resulted in touchdowns. Right. So – and then – so you have 
Kendrick Bourne's first drop that resulted in a pick that eventually resulted in a score. And then you have his second drop, which is is almost worse. I mean, and you could say it's equal. It might not have resulted in an interception. It almost did, but he dropped the ball on what would have put the 49ers on like the five yard line first and goal. And he it was almost picked off. It should have been. It was an easy, it was it was a relatively easy pick. The the Seahawks defender just dropped it. And like that would have put the 49ers up, I believe, by four points going in towards the end of the game. And if everything else after that point unfolded like it did, which it wouldn't have just because that changes things, the 49ers would have won the game. So you're talking about, you know, you can just, we can just go ahead and let's just presume the 49ers were going to score from the five yard line. That's four, that's a 14 point swing based off one player's two drops. And there was all kinds of other stuff. And, Marquise Goodwin and Dante Pettis were essentially like pointless. They offered nothing to the game. Um, Pettis is one, as far as I can remember, Pettis is one main opportunity for a catch was on third down. Uh, he did like an awkward, weirdly timed jump where the ball just hit his hands and he dropped it. And, and that was also on a third down that would have put the 49ers in, in touchdown range. And, to kind of just allow going on this a little bit deeper. I know that there's a lot of people on Twitter. They're like, well, if, if we're not getting these guys, you know, if they're not getting more than three targets a game, how are they supposed to develop any sort of a rhythm? How are they supposed to get into any sort of a groove and start catching these passes? That is not how this works. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not how football works. And I'll change that. That is not how competitive football works. That is not how high school works. That is not how my middle school football team works. That is not how the NFL works. Any any level of football, you are tasked with making the most of your opportunities, period. I don't care if there's one a game, two a game, three a game, or ten a game. If you don't make the most of those opportunities, then those opportunities will lessen, and you will get fewer opportunities pending any sort of an injury that adjusts the situation that you're in it is not up to somebody else to force feed you the ball as in Kyle Shanahan to Dante Pettis or Goodwin unless you are going to capitalize on the opportunities you are being given Kendrick Bourne got plenty of opportunities and he squandered those he also caught a touch caught the 49ers only touchdown on offense you know and and he also caught a two-point conversion. So at the very least, there's a little bit of a back and forth going on with Bourne. And and him and Jim Garoppolo seem to have developed a good relationship. There's nothing about Garoppolo's relationship with Dante Pettis that would remotely translate to a good working relationship. And Dante Pettis obviously caught some scores. And Jimmy Garoppolo has gone to him in some key moments um, that would suggest that, that they at least were building something. But you can't always take one step backwards every time you take one step forwards or you're never going to go anywhere. And that's why Dante Pettis, despite the fact that he's probably getting open, just giving the nature of his routes and, and how good he is at running them, he's probably getting open, but he's not getting targeted because when they target him, he catches the ball and then gets hit and drops it or the ball bounces off his fingertips or whatever else is going on there. That's beyond what we saw all training camp. It, it just, the 49ers actually forced the ball to him. All yeah, throughout he, training camp. He was the most targeted guy. It seemed like every day and I was watching him, I'm just like, this is not what I was expecting to see from him. No, and it was it was yeah, it was like Shanahan was saying, right. It, it was like Shanahan was saying, I believe this can be our guy. So we're gonna throw the ball to him like he's going to be our guy. And it just didn't work out. And and this is going like like Croc said, going all the way back into training camp where he was given the reps and he was given the opportunities and 
he just wasn't capitalizing on him. And and at some point, it doesn't matter if you're a first round pick or a seventh round pick or whatever in, in between. If you're not seizing your moment and you're not capitalizing on your opportunities frequently enough, then there is somebody behind you that is. And the 49ers might not even have somebody behind them that is, but at least you got a guy like Debo Samuel who has definitely had his struggles in the past, but then he comes out and catches eight of 11 for 112 yards. And on a lot of plays, it would take at least two or three Seahawk defenders to tackle the guy. Right. And and that's the thing. If, 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 if you're going to drop a ball, I can live with the drop here and there. If you're going to also make plays and Debo made plays like you said, there were there were plays where it took multiple guys to bring him. I to think the there game. was one where it was like five, like yeah, and he and they blew a whistle before even it went down. Yeah, no, nah, you know, so it's like okay, yeah, you dropped the pass, Debo, a very catchable. I mean, just flat out drop. Probably was looking to catch and run and trying to see, okay, where's everybody at? Oh damn, I dropped the ball, <laughs> you know. But um, you dropped the ball, terrible drop, wide open. You just dropped, it just went off your hand. But I also had eight other catches for over a hundred yards where I'm being very productive. I am moving the sticks. Um, they're getting the ball to me in space. I'm, I'm good run after catch. So it's like, yeah, you got to drop. But like with Dante Pettis, is like you saw one ball, you dropped it. And it's like, I, I just, I've seen this every week. Now with Kendrick Bourne, somewhat similar to, to Debo where, yeah, you dropped the ball, but you've also made some plays. The one thing I'll say about Kendrick Bourne, is for what Kendrick Bourne is, he's he's fine, right? I, people, I, I think they have um, like preseason in their head where Kendrick Bourne dropped a lot of passes, and I was saying it during preseason, like man, this is this guy doesn't drop passes. Well, now there's just this like narrative that Kendrick Bourne drops a lot of passes, and in my opinion, he doesn't. Like I don't think Kendrick Bourne drops a lot of passes. I think well, he even, has. Even Kyle Shanahan thought he thinks. He has the best hands on the team, and, and every yeah. receiver drops balls, but you don't earn that reputation by having poor hands and not. Yeah, you know. no. I, he, and I've thought that going all the way back. Just, you can just tell the way he catches the ball; it's with a confidence, you know. And he always catches the ball away from his body, which is uh, just shows a confidence in his hands. And obviously, that is not one hundred percent what he showed in the game. You know, he's nah, the most confident drops we've ever seen. We've seen this season, um, but. You know, he's we like you said, at least, you know, it seems like you've got somebody like Bourne taking two steps forward and maybe taking a step back, a big step, you know, back. But then you've got Pettis, who seems like it's way less frequent and there's way more. I mean, how many times have we seen Garoppolo throw something to Pettis and he's either not where he should be or he it bounces off his hands or he drops it after he gets hit and it, it immediately cuts to Garoppolo and he's like. For lack of a better term, God damn it! Like every time, I think he even said that once. Every freaking time, and let's put things into perspective. All right, why did the 49ers go out and get Emmanuel Sanders? <clears throat> because they had confidence in Dante Pettis Crocker. <laughs> right, you know they 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 did that because it's like, hey, we we do think that these young guys are talented. But they are not where they, where I need them to be in the sense of like a team competing for a Super Bowl run. And that's where the 49ers are at. So what they do, they went and got a veteran. Now, okay, now why do you go and get a veteran? I, I, I'll talk about this. 
This is why you go and get a better. Hey, hold on. Can you save that? Because it's a good cliffhanger and I need to read our ads. All right. All right so read now it. everybody is going to be so eager to hear Crocker's description on why the 49ers went and got a veteran. That they're going to stick through our ads. You're going to listen to them and you're going to give it, you're going to give our sponsors some love because they're the only reason we can do this. And yes, I have specific times in which I must read my ads. Otherwise, I would never have cut Crocker off like that. I meant no disrespect. Okay. No disrespect. But first, we've got Harry's razors. Okay. Humans, we've been shaving for thousands of years since we've been around or most of the time since we've been around. The secret to a great shave has not changed. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what exactly matters, sharp, durable blades at a fair price. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 a blade. They've cut out the middleman, manufacturing blades in their German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century. Germans are always known for their engineer, which means you get incredibly high quality blades at a factory direct price. Harry's is super convenient. Blade refills are directly delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription. And there's no risk whatsoever. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners of Striking Gold can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com backslash blue wire. With that, you'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your chin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com backslash blue wire to start shaving better today. I gave him a shot. Didn't regret it. Usually I rock the beard, but I keep it nice and trim, so I got to give Harry some love there. And now we're moving on to Roman. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy, and no crocker. I don't know from experience, but a lot of guys do. Okay, there's no shame. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like "I lost my mojo" or avoid it altogether with excuses like "I had a long day at work" or "Sorry, honey, just not feeling it." Okay, but with Roman, it's easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. Simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. And complete an online visit. ED used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. One more time, that's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. And with that being said, we're back. And Crocker is about to drop some knowledge on why the 49ers went with Emmanuel Sanders as if Monday wasn't enough to tell you. Go, Croc. All right, here we go. So the veteran receiver and what the difference is between a veteran and young guys. All right, and some of the things that we've seen, I have to look at it. I haven't watched the film, but just in my own head, kind of things I, I kind of like make up and certain things. We'll, we'll go over that real quick. All right, so... When I was with the Jets, there was one thing that I noticed. All right, all the young guys were walking around with these cue cards. 
like and like flashcards. And on the flashcard, it had like it would it would be like a route, right? It would be a play, and it would be a route, and the route would be say like a slant. Well, off of this slant, there were like two or three different options on how to run or carry something, and like so so and it was based on the coverage that you get. So a lot of younger receivers, when they look out there, they're as they're running their routes. A lot of times, they're also reading the coverage to see: Am I supposed to settle down? Am I supposed to keep going? Do I run the slant that I'm supposed to, or do I hook it up shorter? Or you know, all these different variations, right? Well, they also have to. The quarterback has to see the same thing that they're seeing, so they have to be on the same page. So when people say, "Oh, the quarterback's on the same page as the receiver." That's what they're talking about because there's so many different variations of how to run one route based on the coverage that they get. All right. So when you have younger guys, they don't get that yet. The the veterans, when I was with the Jets, they weren't walking around with that. The Santonio Holmes, Brandon Edwards, they weren't walking around with those flashcards. They know it like the back of their hands. The young guys were, though, because they just don't get it yet. So... You bring in somebody like Emmanuel Sanders because he doesn't have to think about these things. He can do it on the fly. All you have to do is kind of tell him something, and he kind of he just gets it. He's seen everything, right? He's been playing. He played in uh, an offense with Peyton Manning and excelled. He played in an offense with uh, the uh, Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers and did well. All right, so he's like well versed with you know different terminology and all these different things, but he just gets it and. The 49ers were so young. They went so young. Those guys just aren't there yet, you know. So you go out and you get a veteran, and this is where it kind of hurt the 49ers yesterday. You go out and you got a veteran. You got a veteran to take the heat off of George Kittle and have that wire, that quote-unquote wide receiver one or really wide receiver two because Kittle's the one, but – you have that that option to kind of take some heat off him and a guy that you know, okay, if Kittle's covered or whatever, I can go to this guy. Well, you go into the game and you lose Kittle. Who's your guy? And then in, in, well, in the first quarter, you lose that other guy. So now we're back to square one. And not, not only are we back to square one, we were at square one with Kittle. Now we're at square one without Kittle. You're at square so what, like like half a square or, or no squares. Right. Maybe so, even like back a square. <laughs> right. So what does that do for an offense? What does that do for Jimmy Garoppolo? Right? So Jimmy in in this game, he's being pressured. You know, the Why? offensive line he is getting killed. So if the offensive line is getting killed, we saw it. I touched on it last week, guys. I touched on it last week where I said, Hey, this the, the offensive line isn't playing as well as people think. Even with school and Brunskill school in there, I said it's not really playing as well as people think. But Jimmy Garoppolo knows exactly where George Kittle is going to be. Emmanuel Sanders knew exactly where he had to be. And Jimmy Garoppolo was hanging in there and getting the ball out of his hands quick. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo, he gets the ball out quicker than anybody else in the NFL. And there's a reason for that. The offensive line isn't great. You know, and there's not a lot of great O-lines, but... If he holds on to it a split second too long, he's getting hit. He's getting pressured. It's kind of bad. Well, 
when you have Kittle, you have Emmanuel Sanders, you know, ah, as soon as they're they're gonna be where they're supposed to be, and I can let it go. And when I let it go, they're gonna be in the spot to catch the ball, right? We saw that last week with Emmanuel Sanders. Like, could you imagine what it would look like if Jimmy Garoppolo threw that corner out and Emmanuel Sanders took it much higher, and all of a sudden the ball just sails out of bounds? People would probably be looking at it like. Wow, that was a terrible throw by Jimmy Garoppolo. But because he was on the same page with the receiver, it was a great throw. Now, fast forward to the Seahawks game where Jimmy Garoppolo is letting the ball go sooner than he probably would like to. Do you think there's a scenario where guys like Dwelly, right? He threw the ball right to KJ Wright. And I have to go back and look at it. I'm just thinking out loud right now. That first play in overtime, he threw it right to KJ Wright. I'm thinking, was Dwelly supposed to flatten that off? And instead of flattening it off, he took it higher and went, tried to go behind the linebacker. And in the process of going behind the linebacker, now the ball goes right to the linebacker instead of right to Dwelly, who should be trying to cross his face instead of going around him. You know what I'm saying? Like just little things like that where he probably trusts George Kittle to flatten that off, catch it, and Kittle will have a nice catch and run. And nobody would think twice about it. But instead, it's Dwelly. He goes behind the linebackers and takes it way too high. And Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have a lot of time to really see, hey, what's exactly going on? What's he going to, is he going to go to the right spot? You have to trust that he's going to go to the right spot. And when he doesn't, you look foolish. And you look like you should have thrown five interceptions. You know, and then outside of that, obviously, the, you know, throws off a guy's hands. And, you know, again, when you talk about Kittle, when you talk about uh, Manuel Sanders, do you know how many drops they have combined this year? I would probably venture to say zero or one. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> Kittle and Sanders combined, zero catches. I mean, how zero many drops, drops did we just see last night? <laughs> you I mean, know what I mean? Like, I, I, I've heard seven and I've heard nine. So I'm not sure exactly what the number is, but it's somewhere in between seven and nine, which is far too many. Far too many. So that's just kind of my, like, I guess a little rant on. From a quarterback, you know, it, it's so it's so difficult because you want these guys to be there. You know you're getting harassed. The ball has to come out of your hands because when it doesn't, oh, I get sacked, stripped, fumbles, and return for touchdowns. So I'm getting it out quick, but then ah, guys aren't where they're supposed to be. And then if, if I just take a sack, now it's, well, he's gun shy. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, dang, Jimmy Garoppolo is in this position to where he really can't win. And I think the only thing that can help this situation right now is he's got to get back Kittle and or Emmanuel Sanders. Well, it's, and you did a – and by the way, you did a fantastic job just breaking all that down, bro. That was a uh, that was a pleasure to listen to. But it was just – dude, and it was this cascading – like, like, you know, kind of like a, the snowball effect where I've never actually done this. I should try it sometime. I live pretty close to the mountains, but you know, when you throw a snowball down a hill and it picks up more snow and all of a sudden it keeps going and, and then you have a huge snowball that's capable of taking somebody out type of deal. And that's kind of how the 49ers offense was yesterday. It started up front with the offensive line. Well, I mean, it, it, to your point, it started with the injuries. It started with not having Kittle going into that game. So now Jimmy Garoppolo is relegated to really just one go-to guy in Emmanuel Sanders. Then Emmanuel Sanders go down, and then at least Debo Samuel stepped up and was sort of that go-to guy. Uh, he had a go-to guy type of game. But at the same time, 
all the chemistry and all the anticipation built up and, and what Jimmy Garoppolo was getting going with Kittle and Sanders is out the window in that moment. And now Jimmy's got to start throwing to receivers that he's really not used to throwing to. And to Crocker's point, again, most fans do not realize how much an NFL offense, especially one like Shanahan's, is based on purely timing. Like this quarterback – and it's like I said, especially Shanahan's because Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have a lot of faith in knowing who's going to come open and who might be something he needs to read before he throws it. So a lot of these throws, he knows, especially to somebody like Kittle or Sanders who he has confidence in, he knows that somebody's going to come open at this spot and Jimmy's going to throw it to that spot, knowing that that receiver is going to be there. That is the only way you can pull off a play like we saw last week against the Cardinals where not even the freaking cornerback knows the ball's there. Because it's so well timed. And that is, you know, that is a huge percentage of plays. And so losing guys that you have made an effort to build up timing with, you know, it 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 shortens or excuse me, it lengthens your mental clock. Now you feel like now Garoppolo feels like he needs to see those receivers come open before he just unloads the ball because he hasn't established, like we mentioned earlier with Pettis. He hasn't established that trust with them where he can just let it go and have a really good feeling that that person's going to be open. So it started with losing those two targets. And then you have the O-line that was playing terrible. Um, McGlinchey and Staley were shells of their former selves. And like Crocker said, a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's just trying to shake off rust from missing almost half a season. And that just, you know, unfortunately, somebody like Jadeveon Clowney was waiting for him and he went off. And the Seahawks pass rush has not been good this year. It is it is not a good unit, but the 49ers offensive line made them look fantastic because they got after Jimmy like crazy. And some of those pressures were fault of Jimmy. You know, he's holding on the ball too long. But again, that goes back to what we're talking about with losing top targets and, and how much confidence you have in letting the ball the ball go when it should be. So now you're starting to see the snowball kind of build up. And the not only and even when Jimmy Garoppolo was hitting his receivers, they were dropping the ball. And so, you know, the snowball keeps going, keeps rolling downhill. The 49ers run game was not effective. I think they ran for like 80-something yards total. I've got it on here. Um, And they averaged just a little over three yards a carry. So that puts even more emphasis on Jimmy to do what he's trying to do. But he's already trying to do that down two top targets with an O-line that's not functioning, with receivers that aren't catching the ball. And how do you expect a guy to have a great game under those conditions? And it really just doesn't happen like that. And this is why Crocker gets on here all pissed off because there's way too many – analysts that should have more respect for themselves to acknowledge these types of contexts before they just go off on some rant like all of a sudden Jimmy's not the quarterback people had started to think he was you know if you're gonna make statements like that you should acknowledge the context of what everything else that was going on in the game that created that situation because you look at guys like like what would Tom Brady have done in that game like what you think he would have done things differently? I mean, Jimmy definitely made some throws that, you know, hit linebackers in the face that should have been inter- intercepted. He had an interception that was called back due to a pass interference penalty that wasn't in the route that he threw the interception to. So, but there's just so much pressure. Somebody like 
Tom Brady, who was the best to ever do it, would have been getting beat the hell up back there. And he would have been trying to throw to guys who were dropping the ball. And Jimmy Garoppolo undoubtedly made plenty of mental mistakes in this game. But the, 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 the struggles went well beyond Jimmy Garoppolo's inability to quarterback the game. It was, it was just the Seahawks were doing everything right, at least in the defensive context. The 49ers were doing everything wrong, and that's what happens. You know, and there just were too many negatives to – and the, 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 the crazy thing is, considering all this, and I know this is kind of a negatively slanted podcast so far, and we're sorry about that. That's what losses do. But the 49ers still came very, very close to winning that game which should give you just a little bit of encouragement in the fact that we know this team can play a lot better than they did on Monday night. And they still almost won, which, you know, there's, there's almost only counts with horseshoes, hand grenades and H bombs, but that's, you know, there's something to be gleaned from that. The fact that the team can look at that film and go, no, okay, I screwed up here, 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 and this, these are easily, easily fixable mistakes. I think um, Ian Williams even got on Twitter and said that like, a lot of the stuff that went wrong in this game, and I like Ian Williams by the by the way, he's a good dude. I'm glad he's still uh, he's still around. Um, a lot of these things can be fixed. These are things that you can look at in the film room and say, "Okay, I got it. I got it. Yes, coach, got it." And then you go out there and you can spend a day on the practice field and iron it out. A lot of it was like that. Now you know there's some things that will require more work than that, but it's just it, there was so much context to this game. I can understand why Eric's frustrated about the fact that there's so much to take in about a game and then people kind of create this black and white headline that is way more simplified than it should be. Uh, you know, even and I got my takeaways coming out tomorrow morning and I, and I, and I went, went hard in on everybody, but there's, I acknowledge the fact that there's, there's reasons for everything, especially when it comes to somebody trying to sit back there and play quarterback with receivers dropping the ball and an offensive line that's letting somebody come through and hit you, what seemed like every other snap. Yeah, and for whatever reason, it seems like in you know the media or whatever that's just kind of overlooked, and I I don't know why. And that's not even me. Like, okay, at the end of the day, if that's how it's going to be for our offense, then Jimmy Garoppolo is just going to have to be better. And yeah, maybe I will have to, you know, expect more from him. If 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 guys are going to drop nine passes and if offensive line are going to play poorly, then Jimmy Garoppolo is just going to have to step his game up. And he's going to have to play the best football of his life. And me personally, I just don't think he's there yet. He's, you know, I, I heard somebody say, but he has like less starts in the NFL than Sam Darnold. <laughs> you know, it's so weird to think about, too. Yeah, it sounds crazy, but, you know, I don't think he's there yet. I don't think he's in at a position to where he can just carry, carry the 49ers regardless of who's on the field. I don't think he's at that place in this offense in Kyle Shanahan's offense, where he just has it down to the point where he can just carry a, a injury, you know, riddled team. I think that he is somebody right now that needs his guys. He needs Emmanuel Sanders. He needs George Kittle. He needs a little bit of protection. And if he gets that, he can play at a very high level, right? There's some guys that can have all that, and they're still kind of like, sorry, <laughs> you know, they still right. got Um if, if you give Jimmy Garoppolo just decent stuff around him, he's pretty damn good. And I but feel like, I don't think he's at the point where he can just carry uh, 
a team when he's missing a lot of what makes the 49ers good in the first place. And that's, a, you know, a solid O-line and, and George Kittle. Right. And it, it's just – and you see it with other great quarterbacks all the time when things aren't going well around them and they can't do what they're normally expected to do. It's just that they've these other quarterbacks have shown greatness so often that people are overwilling to look the games where they really, really struggle. Like just the other day when the Green, Green Bay was only able to score like a touchdown against the Chargers – you know, like, I mean, did you see uh, Sunday, Drew Brees? He put up, what, nine points? He didn't right. score a touchdown against the Atlanta Falcons, who have one of the worst defenses in the league. If not, I instantly think of that, that Deshaun Watson video, who absolutely torched the Falcons, where he's like, he's like, where the guy put his voice over his, his – is Sean Watson's video. He's like, he's like, we could score inside, we could score down the side, score on the outside. He's like, at one point in the game, I just started calling to the fans, like, hey, come over here, because if you want to run routes against the Falcons, you know they can't stop it. Like, I, I was like one of my favorite videos of the of the season. But before we before we go on too long, I feel like there's still plenty of people that we should give a shout out to that really like play their asses off this game. Um, because the like like we mentioned earlier, Croc did a good job of mentioning it. I'm going to mention it again just because it's that amazing. Every single time the Seahawks got the ball, and it wasn't because of a 49ers turnover. Okay, I'm going to say this again. I know we already said it because it's just that crazy. Punt, 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 fumble, fumble, punt, fumble, punt, field goal, interception, punt, field goal. That's six points. The Seahawks offense earned under their own merits – Six points. Now, yes, a turnover and getting in there on offense and scoring is still earning points, but you're being set up with a way different scenario. And the 49ers offense couldn't score on those turnovers uh, because, and I believe they, what did they create four or five turnovers? But the 49ers defense was still playing at a super high level. And if you look at some, I mean, just look at the, looking at the box score of, the defensive stats shows you just how much of like a war this was like Fred Warner, 10 total tackles, two sacks, uh, a pass breakup and a forced fumble. Emmanuel Mosley, who was outstanding, three pass breakups, 10 tackles. When a corner has 10 tackles, you know, shit is getting crazy. Well, this is the thing too about tack. So most of the time, like when I hear that a cornerback has a lot of tackles, I'm thinking, oh man, he's giving up a lot of catches. Right, and right, right. But that wasn't the case, man. I mean, they were playing some zone. I mean, when he was a man, he was sticky. Um, he did give up like one or two catches, but for the most part, they were I mean, on, and they were on passes. quick slants too. Like yeah. they're, they're the hardest stuff to defend because you have to react in an instant. And Especially yes, with one of them was in overtime and stuff like that that kept drives going, but. Emmanuel Mosley played his ass off, dude. It was yeah, they, so impressive. They threw, they threw it down the field. He broke up several passes down the sideline. Um, but when they were in zone, he was rallying down, man, and he was hitting these uh, the tight ends, and he was hitting the running backs. He and, had a couple uh, of hits where I was like, is he okay? Because <laughs> yeah. he was smacking people. There were a few times where I was like, damn, is he going to get up? Because he's hitting these big guys. They they weren't – his tackles weren't because, like, guys are just catching the ball on him and he's tackling them. I mean, this was him, right. you know, pulling off of other guys, coming down, making tackles. Um, I, I was extremely impressed with how he played. Kwan Williams had that tackle too, where he was covering DK, I think, or or he was covering Gordon, or maybe he was covering. Well, I can't remember who he was color, covering, but then 
uh, DK ended up catching the ball and Williams immediately came off his route and tackled the dude short of the sticks. And I think that was on, on second down and it ended up going, the drive ended up going to third down or something like it was just, he made something. It was one of those moments where, you know, an NFL player just made something incredibly difficult, look very easy to, to come off of covering a guy instantly and immediately make the tackle on the guy that actually caught the ball and stop him short of the first down. It was just, it was impressive, man. And there was, the defense played well. Even Nick Bosa had eight tackles, um, a quarterback hit, tackle for loss. Um, DeForest Buckner recovered two fumbles. Uh, one of them he took to the house. I mean, that play was so wild. I can't remember who initially hit Russell Wilson on that play. Do you remember? K1 uh, Williams. <coughs> right, that's it. Excuse me, by the way. K1 Williams hit Russell Wilson, forced the ball out. It was picked up by Jermaine Fetty, who then held on to the ball for a little bit. Then Fred Warner comes along and smashes the ball uh, out of his hands. It hits the ground. Forrest Buckner picks it up, takes it in for six, and that pulls the 49ers within a field goal uh, in the fourth quarter. So it's like the defense played their asses off, and the only time they were left kind of out, out, out to dry was when the offense uh, couldn't do their thing. You know, when, when the offense turned the ball over and a couple of those were Jimmy's fault and a couple of those were, were other, other, you know, turnovers. But, it, you know, I know we've been kind of hammering on the 49ers throughout this entire podcast. And like I said, that's going to happen after a loss. But the defense was was everything you would have expected them to be. And on that note, so was Levi Stadium. Uh, I'm sure you could hear it through the broadcast, Croc, but that that crowd was nuts. That was the loudest I'd ever heard Levi Stadium. It reminded me of, because I was in the stands for the pick of the stick, the last game at Candlestick, and it reminded me of something like that, where at one point when Dre Greenlaw, shout out to him, by the way, his first game as a starter, making a huge play, picking off Russell Wilson in overtime, almost almost housed it. Um, The stadium was shaking. I'm literally up in that press box feeling the stadium shake. And, you know, at that point you're like, I hope this building is really well made, but the whole stadium was shaking and, and it was just super impressive with how bad Levi stadium's reputation has been over the last few years. One, that's because the 49ers have lost a lot of football there, but it was awesome to see that place just completely come to life. It was super loud It was like a genuine home field advantage. And obviously the 49ers didn't come out with a win, but the fans really brought it. And as far as like a turnout too, it was the vast majority of of fans there were 49ers fans. This was nothing like some of the stuff we've seen in the past where Green Bay is like 50% of the fan base or anything like that. The vast majority of the fans were 49ers fans. And that was just really impressive and encouraging to see because it plays a huge role in – how players play on the field and how they feel and, 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 you know, the kind of the energy and the atmosphere there. And it was, it was nuts more than a few times the the Levi stadium had to play like the, the quiet sound, the little shh, because the 49ers were on offense now and the crowd was still going nuts from the defensive stop prior. So it was pretty, pretty awesome to see him go wild like that. I had a ton of fun. It was just, as just a fan of the game of football, it was such a cool game to be at. There was just, the energy was just crazy. It, it was just crazy. So, yeah. Well, if you think that energy is going to be be crazy, uh, a couple games got flexed, man. The 49ers play Packers on prime uh, time television now. 
Yeah, two weeks, so right? That's another one. That's Sun- Sunday this. night. Yeah, right? not this weekend, but that's next weekend. Uh, you know, not this coming game against the Cardinals, but after that, because the 49ers spend all of November in Levi Stadium. So, um, but yeah, the car, the Packers game got flexed, and the the Rams game, which they hadn't even really picked a date for yet, I believe it was between the 21st or 22nd of December, is now a Saturday night. So that'll be cool. Um, so that's two more prime times games added to the 49ers schedule, and I don't remember the exact number, but the 49ers uh, against the Seahawks on Monday was the highest rated football game of the year, I believe, or maybe it was the highest rated Monday night game of the year um, by quite a bit. And I don't, and I don't have all the numbers in front of me. I, today was a busy day for me. I'm just kind of watching all this stuff fly through my timeline. But the NFL knows that when the 49ers are good, the NFL is good. Well, the, the, the crazy thing. I mean, they're, they're doing better numbers than the Cowboys. Right. So you can take all that America's team trash and just cram it because it's always been stupid. <laughs> now it's even stupid when you don't even have the most popular team or the best team or any of that team. So it's just, you know, you can, anybody who says America's team can, you know, I'm a veteran. You can check with me. They're not America's team. Okay. Like <laughs> just, they aren't. Okay. Um, but it's, you know, there's a lot to take from that game. And when it comes to the Cardinals, the 49ers know very well what they need to do. And it's really going to come down to uh, the fact that they're going to have a ton of faith in their secondary because it's been playing pretty lights out. It's just going to come down to stopping the run. And I think that they were kind of jarred by Kenyon Drake a little bit, who had just gotten with the team two weeks ago. And then he comes out and runs for over 100 yards. I think it was almost 150 all-purpose yards if you include his catches. And he tore the 49ers up, and the 49ers still came away with a win. But I just – I in a way, and I, I, I'm i not one that believes in jinx, so I don't really care how the game comes out. But I feel – I almost feel bad for the Cardinals because they're playing a good brand of football right now. And, and Cliff Kingsbury has got that – and Kyler Murray have got that offense humming pretty well at this point. But I can only imagine the attitude the 49ers are going to come into this game with. You know, it's, it's three division games in a row. Cardinals, Seattle, Cardinals. And they just lost a heartbreaker to Seattle. And so I, I can only imagine, like, imagine the type of, I don't know, frustration that they're going to want to put onto the football field after a loss like that. Well, I mean, for our sake, I, I, I just hope that, you know, they rebound well. I think they'll probably have one of their best week of practices. And, you know, hopefully guys just get healthy and, you know, you have a short week. And, you know, but you're, you're, you're playing at home. Uh you know, hopefully get the guys back, man. Get get Sanders back. You know, just put some bubble wrap around him and <laughs> tape up tape up those ribs. And I mean, you know, get like a little a pad that goes around it. Uh, I think it was uh, George Killer that played with some like a rib broken rib or something like that. Uh, his rookie year, I believe. What was it last year? Right, and, and we like we talked about in the beginning of the Forty Nineers are dealing with a ton of injuries right now. I think. You know, if George Kittle truly is day to day, I just there were a couple comments made in the locker room by a few players that just gave me the impression that Kittle's injury was a bit more serious than the team is willing to let on. And maybe they want to make every team that they had to face for the until Kittle is officially back prepare to face George Kittle. You know, for a competitive advantage. I just I heard a couple comments that made it seem like Kittle's injury was a bit more severe then at least – and I'm not saying the 49ers are lying about it. I'm just saying it, it seems more serious than, than day-to-day. So 
But if the 49ers can get him back, they can get Sanders back, then that changes everything. And it's just, you know, my comments earlier, I don't want to seem like the 49ers should take the Cardinals lightly because there's division games are always different. The 49ers got away with that one. Um, You know, Jimmy Garoppolo was able to put together a final drive that, that basically put the nail in the coffin against the Cardinals. I think they won by two points. And, that was game was by no means a shoe in it was it was very much in a lot of ways similar to the 49ers game against the Seahawks on Monday so you know it's by no means a shoe in but I, I just feel like the 49ers are going to come into that game with a very very huge chip on their shoulder and if we're going to see you know a fired up team not that they need any extra motivation but if we're going to see a fired up team I would think this week would be when you see it the week because if anything Kyle Shanahan has proven it's that he can create a team that is willing to endure adversity. This team has lost so many games over their first two years. You know that every single one of the people on that team appreciate the run that they just went on. Uh, they've all, cause they've all endured all these losses. So, you know, they know what it means to lose. They know what it means to win. And it still hasn't really altered their state of mind. They've always kind of seemed like the team they are now, even when they're winning, even when they were losing, they still seemed like the team they are now. Like, I don't feel like, I feel like things are finally going their way and they've got everybody healthy and they're, you know, they're firing all cylinders, but I still feel like the team we've seen in the past is still the same team we're seeing right now. They're just finally able to show their true colors type of deal. So I'm, I'm interested to see the type of rebound they have against the Cardinals, because I just feel like the team is built for that. If that makes sense. Yep. And we got to be built for, uh, Chandler Jones coming around that corner because he's he's coming. <laughs> right, right, and and that's that's another thing is 49ers offensive line just got their ass kicked. So I feel like they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that doesn't happen two weeks in a row. But with that being said, we got to wrap it up. I'm watching this this timer hit 59 minutes, and we're coming up on an hour. And but like we always say. Me and Croc only get a chance to come at you once a week. So we're going to make sure we put it all out there. I appreciate you guys listening. As always, we would not be able to do this and have fun. I do truly and honestly have fun doing this with Crocker. Uh, I feel like we got a good thing going. And we wouldn't be able to do that without you guys listening, checking out. Don't forget to to hit us up on Twitter, at Rob underscore Louder, at Eric underscore Crocker. And let us know that you're listening. Let us know that you made it to this point because we always run long. And – just just give us a give us a give us a shout out say what's up you know and uh you know always leave us a positive review wherever you're listening to this if you feel like we deserved it but again appreciate you guys being here um looking forward to another game on sunday and we will uh, we will come at you after that but like i said hit us up on twitter that's where we always are uh, but for now this is uh, striking gold for another week signing out Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. 
This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.